Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Hey everyone, thanks for watching today. Whether you're a part of TCC or just tuning in from elsewhere, uh, we're glad to have you to gather in whatever manner we can as the body of Christ. You know, I I get the sense that this is wearing a bit thin these days, uh, that we're just over it. You know, the novelty has worn off and we're just ready to get back to the old ways, understandably. You know, technology is wonderful. This is fantastic that we can actually do this. You know, it can help foster community. It can keep us together. And it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to advance the kingdom. It's an opportunity to reach people that we might not otherwise reach. Our online presence is something that's not going away. We're going to continue in on this in a myriad of ways, even when we eventually come back together. So this has been a good training ground and has served to further future ministry. And that's a good thing. But I know that experientially, there's no substitute for being in person. It's great that my parents get to talk to my kids over FaceTime, but there's no substitute for my kids going over to their grandparents' house. There's no substitute for that. But if your experience of God has diminished... That's not because God has diminished. Maybe it's not as good of an experience to worship through a screen, but God is still worthy of our worship and our praise. That hasn't changed. Maybe this is a hard way for us to pay attention, but we need to listen to the words of God. God is still God in every season and circumstance, and we need to be people who recognize that the character and the nature of God is not conditioned by circumstances. That's why this series that we're in on the new normal is so helpful for us. It's taking the long view, looking through history, through all kinds of disruption, and seeing how God has been faithful and how he worked through all of it for his purposes. So we started off with the fall. That's a huge disruption. That's a terrible new normal. But God pursues us and redeems us. Jesus becomes the second Adam. And through the fall, God's character finds expression. His justice and his wrath and and his jealousy are, are manifested before us. And his mercy and his patience and his love find expression through the fall. You know, Adam and Eve had fellowship with God, but I think that we know him better than even they did. They knew God loved them, but the depths of his love, the richness of his love is only made clear when it is fully expressed with Jesus on a cross. The Apostle Paul says this in Romans, what if God Although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the object of his wrath prepared for destruction. What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy whom he prepared in advance for glory? And he says this in Ephesians. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in the kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And Ty talked about the Tower of Babel. So just as our sin separates us from God, it also leads to division with our fellow man. 
And just as Jesus reconciles us with God, the Spirit of God unifies us where there is neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, slave nor free. We see the fall, the separation of God and man, followed by the division of man depicted by language. And then we see reconciliation through Jesus and the reunification of man through the Spirit, which is depicted by the Holy Spirit when it comes upon them and they immediately start talking, start preaching, start sharing the gospel in languages they don't even know. Through Jesus and the Spirit of God, what once was divided is being unified. How cool is that? All throughout all of these new normals, we see ways in which God is working and revealing himself to us. And last week, we looked at Joshua. We saw that God kept his promise. He brought the people faithfully into the promised land. And a people become a nation. They followed Moses. Then they followed Joshua. But it was always God who was leading. And then they're at a pivotal moment. They're at a crossroads. Joshua tells them, you need to choose. You need to choose who you're going to follow. You need to choose who you are going to serve. And that is a question that we need to continually answer when we approach every crossroad in our life. And that's going to be relevant for us here today. So, Today, we're looking at another new normal in the history of the nation of Israel. Another disruptive moment where they move from the era of judges to the era of kings. So after Joshua, they all go to their own homes and almost immediately, they start to fall away from God and disobey him. So God then punishes them by sending foreign nations and peoples to oppress them. After enough oppression, The people repent, they come back to God, and they cry out to him. At which point, God is merciful and forgiving and raises up a judge to deliver them from their oppressors. Then they follow that judge until the judge passes away, and the pattern repeats itself. Over and over and over, that's what you see through the age of judges, until you get to Samuel. Here's the moment. 1 Samuel chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. Now this is understandable, isn't it? You see where they're coming from. Samuel's kids are are bad, and they don't want them as leaders. That makes sense. And it's not as if the system of judges was going swimmingly. You know, in the book of Judges, multiple times when something really messed up goes down, you'll read a line that says something like this. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. You know, there's not much law and order. It's kind of the wild, wild west. It's it's Mad Max, Thunderdome, right? Libertarians would really dig it. Uh, But the problem with liberty is that you're free to abuse it. And there was plenty of abuse and wickedness and perversion. Some of the most messed up stories in the entire Bible is in the book of Judges. And on a pragmatic level, they're weaker as a nation without a centralized government or a standing army. 
If one tribe were being attacked, all the other tribes should rally to them, but there's no guarantee of that. So they're looking at other nations and at their systems, and they're going, that seems to work pretty well. And a king is really like a judge, only with greater continuity and greater stability. So from man's perspective, from man's reasoning, this makes sense. But here's God's response to it. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, This is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants, your male and female servants, and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. God is clearly not pleased with this idea. Now, some scholars think that the problem was not that they wanted a king, but the problem was the manner in which they went about it. Because in Deuteronomy, it says this about the kingship. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us, be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not an Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priest. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. Now notice that not a single king of Israel lives up to that. Not even David. None of them do. But because God provides an outline for the king, people take that to mean that the problem was not that people asked for a king, but the manner in which they went about it. But personally, I don't think so. You know, there, there are times where God permits things, but doesn't approve of it, where he says, 
if you're going to do this, here's how you should do it at least. And when we see this with Jesus, when he says in places like Matthew chapter 19, verse 7, Why then, they asked, they being the teachers of the law, why did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Jesus says, that was because you're wicked. God is mitigating against their evil decisions, making sure it doesn't go from bad to worse. Not condoning, but mitigating for their good. We, we wrestle with that in government. And as parents, we feel that too. As parents, uh, we know that our children might make decisions, might do things that we do not condone. That we have even emphatically and repeatedly said, do not do this, this is wrong, I do not approve of this. But I know as a father, with the heart of a father, that if my children do make those poor decisions, I still want to mitigate against it. There are better and worse ways to go about things, even when it comes to poor decisions. And I want my kids to at least choose the better. And, and God has the heart of a father. And in his foreknowledge, he knew what they were going to do. And so he mitigates against it. Jesus says the law permitted that because you were evil. God was mitigating against their evil, not condoning or approving of it. And I think that's the same thing at play here with the kingship. God gave them directives about how to best have a king, but I don't think he approved. He certainly doesn't hear. He takes it, and rightly so, as a personal rejection. And he warns them solemnly about what a king would do. It's going to cost them. It's going to cost them. Their sons and their daughters will be taken to serve the king. They'll lose their profits. They're going to have to give up the best of their fields, the best of their livestock. Oh, that's all going to the king. And he says, you'll become slaves to the king. But they don't listen. They give up their freedom and their liberty for a king. Now, that might strike us as odd with our, you know, American sensibilities. But the truth is, we do that all the time in our rejection of God. Rejecting God always leads to a loss of liberty. The Bible describes sin as bondage. It says this in Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. In Romans, it says this, chapter 6, verse 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that, though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Now certainly we are bound to God. There was always a king in Israel. God reigns over them. They are subject to him. He is our creator, and we are created beings. We are subjects, and he is our sovereign. 
and righteousness is bound. Righteous lives are lived out by following God and never wavering because God is good incarnate. And so there can be no righteous deviation. God is the track and we are the train. We must be bound to the track. But perversely, people can look at that and think, well, I want to be free. I want to be liberated. I want to break off from the shackles of God. But that only leads to derailment, to death and destruction. And far from being free, you're stuck and broken and going nowhere. Oh, we see that so often. People free themselves from religion. They reject God, and all it does is diminish them. Well, they may not be subjects anymore, but they're not created either. And so they're not intended or designed or special or loved or purposeful or meaningful or eternal. No, they're just the product of blind, dumb luck and random mutation with natural selection in a cold and indifferent world in a meaningless and purposeless universe that's dying anyway. If we're all brain and not mind, if we're all matter and not spirit, if we are all body and not soul, then everything that we say and do and think is just a naturalistic process in a long line of cause and effect, and free will itself is an illusion. That's what we're left with. We're left with no freedom whatsoever. A rejection of God leads to a loss of self and a loss of liberty. But when we live in submission to God as king, we have fullness of life. C.S. Lewis put it this way, the principle runs through all life from top to bottom. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and death of your whole body. In the end, Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will ever be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. The problem with the Israelites was never the system. Well, they think, oh, oh, the judges are not working. The judges are not working. We just need to change the system. That'll solve the problem. We are so tempted to think that way too. You know, the, the, the problem is capitalism. Uh, the problem is the electoral college. The, the problem is the filibuster. The, the problem is a lack of term limits. If we can just change the system, we'll solve the problem. We'll get utopia. But the problem is not the system. Israel gets their kings. Most of them are bad. None are perfect. You know, the real issue here has always been, because of our sin. We have an inability to submit and obey our true king. But here's really what I want us to see through all of this. They reject God. But God does not reject them. 
No, he pursues them. He pursues them. And and he uses this new normal for his purposes. And through the line of kings comes Jesus. It is such a potent moment when the people cry out, Son of David. Well, the entire system of kings is a rejection of him. And yet he is so merciful and patient and humble that he condescends, that he stoops down and enters into the line of kings. And he ushers in his kingdom despite their continual rejection of him. Oh, and yes, they reject him as king again. But in his submission to the Father, he triumphs over their rejection and rises to reign as their king and our king forever. And here's the kingdom that he brings us to. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of ways has passed away. That's the new normal our king has in store for us. And that's why we have all the confidence to boldly face every new normal. Because we have a sovereign king who sits on the throne, who is faithful and true and able to deliver us from every trial or circumstance. So let's be people who hold fast to the ancient path, who live in submission and obedience to our king following the track wherever it may lead. Let's pray. Oh, Sovereign Lord, Son of David, thank you uh, that you are sovereign, that you are in control, Lord. Oh, Lord, thank you for your humility. Thank you for your patience and your mercy that even when we reject you, you do not reject us and that you are faithful and true and loved us so deeply that you sent your son to become our king once and for all, finally putting into rest and into entering into a new kingdom that will not spoil or fade. Lord, we love you. Help us to grow through this season, through this new normal, to see you for who you are and to love and adore you and worship you all the more. In your name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.